0: Yes, the church will grow if we continue to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because uh, Jesus is in the salvation business. We've we've only got to proclaim it. It's God's church. He will He will grow it, and there will be a continual revival. All we've got to do is to do our part.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Although whatever God has called us to do, of course, every man every member should be the sole winner. And i'll just say there's the parable of the sower he went forth to sow and when you read that parable you think he wasn't a very good farmer he he threw some of it on the path and some of it on the stones and but that says to me where very often we can be quite selective but god just wants us to go and sow and and he he will bring in the harvest mm-hmm.
2: Welcome to the Hacka Podcast, my name is Greg Hackathorn, hope you all are doing well. Today we are so blessed to be joined by a wonderful man of God and someone I had been hoping to get on this podcast when I started it last year, Bishop John Downs. Bishop Downs is the former General Superintendent of the UPCA. He retired in January from the position after leading the Australian church for 21 years. Prior to being elected General Superintendent, He served as the Home Missions Director and also as a Presbyter, totaling 41 years on the Executive Board in Australia. Along with that, he pastored Calvary Chapel in Canberra for 28 years before becoming Bishop in 2012 when his son was elected as pastor. He has an amazing story and a lot of wisdom to share. I know you will be blessed by this conversation. Before we get to it, I want to encourage you to share this with a friend or on social media and allow it to bless others. Plenty of people will be wanting to hear what Bishop Downs has to share. If you have time to write and review the show where you listen to it, I would greatly appreciate that as it makes it easier for new listeners to discover what we're doing here on the Hacka Podcast. And this was a great review we received recently from Faya the Weary. It says, "Praise the Lord." The Hacka podcast is definitely one of my go-to podcasts. Highly recommended for those navigating through their walk with God and ministry in general. And it says, tuning in from Fiji. God bless. Well, thank you for leaving that review and for connecting with us in Fiji. My two daughters claim to be part Fijian because of their adoptive Bumbu and Tutu Bulasara. Ava talks about uh, the last time we were in Fiji, she was in her mommy's tummy, so... She wants to go, and and we hope to visit there sometime soon with my two daughters. Well, I can't wait to share this with you, so let's get to this conversation with Bishop John Downs. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today, Brother Downs.
0: Yes, uh, it's wonderful to be joining you. I've listened to a number of the podcasts and uh, been riveted by them. Thank you for inviting me
2: i'm so privileged to have you on i've been looking forward to asking you and hopefully getting you on here to talk about your story and to share that and it's such an honor for me to have you on this platform to discuss what god has done in your life and uh, what he's going to continue to do through your ministry so thank you so much for the privilege of of being able to have you on
0: yeah thank you great
2: well If you have listened to a few of them, you would know that we like to start out these conversations by uh, getting to know our guest, getting to know a bit about your background, maybe where you grew up, that sort of thing. So if you wouldn't mind, Brother Dan, sharing with the listeners uh, a bit about yourself, uh, where you come from, your sort of worldview.
0: Okay, so we'll go right back to the beginning. Um, My mother and father were active in the church when they were young. Uh, My mother's parents are actually involved in establishing the Brighton Church of Christ in
1: Melbourne.
0: Mm. Uh, My father, he was raised in a Presbyterian church. And I understand that uh, in his teen years, he taught Sunday school. So there's a bit of a background there. So after reaching uh, school age, I was sent uh, to Sunday school at the Baptist church that would have been about five or six years old. Also, I'll say here that I have a brother and a sister. So we lived in Oakley most of my life. But before that, we lived in my grandmother's house in Mail Street, Brighton, which was quite a dilapidated house. But today, um, if you go there, you'll pay a lot of money to live in that same <laughs> that, that <home> address. <laughs> so you how things have progressed. Sadly, my father passed away when I was at about eight years old, due to a sickness that resulted from serving in the Australian Air Force during World War Two. Mm-hmm. After after the war, he was often in hospital, so uh, I think you can understand that would have impacted my life considerably. Yeah, we weren't uh, we weren't very well off because my mother had to survive on a war pension
1: Mm.
0: and she they had bought a house so she continued to pay the house off so it was pretty lean our meals were pretty much a barbecue chop and three vegetables every Mm -hmm. day but um when you're a kid you don't really uh, focus on those sort of things uh in the midst of all this i must say i really appreciated the australian repatriation department which made sure that uh, we all got a, a very, very good education. Mm. So along the way, when I was in my early teens, my mother married again.
2: So from there, your your mother married again, and then from there you would have progressed in your studies. Did you, uh, I know a little bit about your background, Brother Downs, did you, you went to university to, did you study mathematics or?
0: Uh, to begin with, uh, I left, High school and went to Caulfield Institute Institute of Technology, and uh, studied industrial chemistry. Ah. I really, I really wanted to go to agricultural college, but uh, due to the fact I failed English, I ended up at uh, Caulfield Institute,
2: hmm.
0: and uh, uh, so I, I studied there. I didn't find it easy because I was sort of suffering some pretty rough years still as a result of my father's death.
2: Yeah. And so you continued on with, in the church that that you were raised up in, through through these years. yeah, I was
0: raised, yeah raised up in the Baptist Church in Oakley. Eventually, my parents uh, left that church, but but I remained there. As time went on, I eventually became a Sunday school teacher and a youth leader in that church. You know, when I look back, there were very very turbulent years for me, but the people in the church they were very very kind to me and. Uh, and understood. Some of the men there were very good in mentoring me in my early, in my I suppose my latter teen you know, years.
2: So, how did you find your way to a UPC church out of this Baptist church?
0: That's quite a long story. I was attending the Baptist church, and um, another friend in the Baptist church came banging on my door one morning, really early, and uh, he said. Let me in, I've got something to tell you. And I said, uh, go away. I said, (laughs) the hour of the morning, go away. Uh, Because I knew this particular friend of mine really had the gift of the gab and elf once that (laughs) once. Anyway, he he was saying he went to a Pentecostal revival, which was in Frankston, and he actually saw a miracle. Mm -hmm. Um, A girl who was blind in one eye could see again. So he said, you've got to come. At that stage, he didn't say it was Pentecostal. But as soon as he said it was Pentecostal, I said, I'm not interested. <laughs> uh, because I had, my parents had become uh, Pentecostal. And it, it's probably put me off a little bit. Mm. Uh, tongues and, and all that sort of thing. So uh, I'd become quite an expert in actually opposing a Pentecostal doctrine particularly speaking in tongues. I, I was an expert. I'd read all the books, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so anyway, eventually he said, come tonight, come tonight. You've got to come tonight with me, you know. So we went that night with a group of other people. The preacher announced uh, at the end of the service, everybody who wants the Holy Ghost wants to speak in tongues, please come out to the front. And I was a little bit hesitant. Um, I'll just backtrack a bit. Mm -hmm. During the service, during that service, I saw another miracle. I didn't see the one the night before because I wasn't there. But this night, the preacher stopped halfway through his preaching and pointed into the congregation and said, there is a man sitting right there who God wants to heal. I don't know what he actually said, but this fellow leapt out of his seat and went out and ran up and down the uh, the aisleway, but I saw that same man carried into the service, wow. uh, who, who was lame. He couldn't walk. So I'm there looking at this and thinking, "Wow, maybe there's something in this."
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so when the when the preacher called us to people out to uh, uh, receive the Holy Spirit, I was still very reluctant, and I was convinced. I did the right thing when he ushered them into the back room because that used to be one of my things it all happens in the back room you know (laughs) Uh, spooky stuff you know Uh, so um, anyway uh, he had a lot of people there must have been a thousand people there and many people they were praying for healings and things like that so I went out and stood in the line somewhat hesitantly but he came down the line and stepped right past me and then uh, continue to pray for other people when he actually came back down the line, he stepped past me again. And I thought, what's going on? You know, I, I nearly went back to my seat, but I thought, no. So next time he came down, I suppose abruptly stepped in front of him to stop him passing me. And he said, I've already prayed for you, haven't I? I said, no. And then he said, well, what do you want? I said, I want to receive the Holy Spirit. Oh, okay. Well, then we're going to lay our hands on you. Just lift your hands up and begin to praise the Lord. Well, when I went to lift my hands up, I think I got out one word, which was hallelujah. And after that, it was like a a steam drain, I suppose. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, I can never, ever deny this. I can never deny it.
2: That's incredible. So was that an unaffiliated Pentecostal revival that was going on or were they connected to the UPC?
0: It was a, no, it wasn't UPC. It was a group of a lot of different Pentecostals uh, that live, that were in the Melbourne area uh, gathered together. The um, the preacher was well-known preacher at that time.
2: Mm.
0: Some things that happened later on, I certainly wouldn't give him a good credit <laughs> for his teaching
2: so how did you end up finding your way to uh, United Pentecostal Church after that experience?
0: Well, that experience occurred when I, when I was in the Baptist Church and uh, I started going to a small group. We called it a coffee shop mm-hmm. up to reach uh, kids that wanted the streets, uh, particularly at weekends. We'd open on a Friday night and close on a Sunday night. We had a lot of kids there who were, back in those days, drug addicts and even young kids that were alcoholics, drinking. Wow. So, <clears throat> the coffee shop was opened up to create an atmosphere where these kids could come to and, uh, in actual fact, some of them who turned up were my students because I was teaching not too far from there. A number of those kids were just simply, uh, simply converted and, later on, uh, some of them were even filled with the Holy Ghost. So there we were in this coffee shop, and uh, we decided that we had we couldn't just have a coffee shop. We had to have a church service. So um, the man who was leading the coffee shop was Dutch Reformed. He said, "Well, John, I, I've talked with the others, and they want you to be the pastor." Now, I that that was about that was about three months after I got filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> And I said, no, 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 no. I've I've just been filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm 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 not really ready for pastoring. I knew I'd been to called to pastoring. Mm. I knew an early stage in my life, or at least called to preach. But I said, no, no, no. So um, he said, well, I think I think I might know somebody that uh, may consider it. I don't know how he knew Pastor Fevoloro, but. So anyway, one night we went around to uh, Brother Fabelor's house and he put put it to him when he to this work. Now he wasn't a young man at that stage, he would have been probably right up in retirement age. Mm. And he accepted. So we he pastored the coffee shop, which which was basically uh Sunday nights, Sunday morning, Sunday nights for him. And uh And then as time went on, he was showing a lot of interest in Oneness Doctrine. So he and I would have big, long discussions. But eventually he was baptized in Jesus' name in the Croydon Church at that particular time. Uh, I was baptized in Jesus' name the same night. Now this this all came because uh, I used to go there when I was teaching. I used to drive to his place and have lunch. Mm We're 15 minutes there, 15 minutes back, 30 minutes talking. We talk doctrine. And he was toying a lot of things up about one's doctrine, about baptism in Jesus' name. But there one day at the table, we were talking about the Godhead, Bible open, flicking through the scriptures. And all of a sudden, the penny dropped with me. And I thought, wow. No wonder I've never been able to understand Trinitarianism, <laughs> because God is one. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, and you know, i would never been able to come to grips with uh, baptism in Jesus' name, but it's almost within the moment I understood oneness doctrine, the oneness of God and who Jesus was, I thought, yes, I'm going to get baptized in Jesus' name. So... Uh, we went over to the Croydon church that we were visiting at that particular time because brother Faballoro knew brother slack mm-hmm. and he also knew brother Jeffrey Davies who was the pastor at the Croydon church. We were baptized and uh, then in 19 conference in 1974-75 brother Faballoro was given a minister's license with the UPC. one year later I was given a minister a, a local license. 10 days before i was married
2: wow that's an incredible story so that coffee shop i think sister downs talked about it a little bit in the episode that we had her on the coffee shop that you were leading that you started having services in as well that ultimately turned into a church
0: yes yes it did we um as the group grew and it it was very very quite dynamic ministry uh, we eventually purchased the um an old older church, an old wooden building after the assemblies of God had left it. Uh, we purchased the building there in Daniel and the church was there for quite a number of years
2: so roughly how old were you when when all of this was taking place when you were uh, came to an understanding of the oneness of God when you were baptized in Jesus' name and then ultimately received your minister's license?
0: The details of that are pretty hard to take off the top of my head, but I suppose uh, probably between uh, uh, the ages of uh, twenty four through 26
2: Okay, so you in your mid 20s Yes yes and you' you're teaching at that time as well you' teaching were you teaching secondary education?
0: Yeah, yes after I uh, had spent a year doing research uh, chemical research after I left Caulfield, I just decided that uh, that research was <laughs> dog eat dog, <laughs> very, very uh, hard work trying to keep ahead of everybody else who was working in the same field. And because I was working with a lot of doctors uh, doctors who, in chemistry, I thought, I just feel I'm only just uh, a bit of a tag on around here.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I, um, another uh, wondrous miracle that happened was how God showed me I should go teaching. So um, I went to Teachers College and then uh, taught for 14 years in Noble Park Technical College.
2: So you hinted a little bit about it when you are talking about when the coffee shop wanted you to be their pastor. You said that you had felt that call to preach, that call to be a pastor. Would you mind sharing that with us? When, when did you... Actually, feel that call from God to be a preacher.
0: I don't know whether there was any definite moment, but uh, when when I was about three or four, my mother used to turn the radio on every morning at ten o'clock for a fifteen-minute church uh, service, and the it would come on with a song, then a prayer, then a short sermon, and then another uh, another prayer and uh, my mother would have to sit in front of the radio she would sit there every morning and we'd listen to this brief church service but uh, after that many many times my brother and I would reorganize the furniture and he would sit in the congregation I'd be the preacher and I, was, I, I don't know whether I was pre- what I was preaching but <laughs> <laughs> but, but certainly I, I've, at that I can still feel that feeling that i had back then and of course as i as i grew up in the baptist church i sat in that church many many times thinking i would just i would just love to preach the word of god one day i was given the opportunity at short notice and uh, in an evening service i was given uh, a little bit more than 10 minutes maybe 15 minutes and i got up And I ran out of words in 10 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) So I thought, oh, there's more to this than what I thought. (laughs) So I remember I preached about the prodigal son. Hmm. Then later on, through different ways, God revealed to me, through men who spoke into my lives, some who didn't even know me, that I was called to preach and to pastor.
2: i love to ask this question to ministers who who come on here and especially someone like yourself with a wealth of experience, what advice would you give to someone who is feeling the call to preach, who is uh, starting that journey, wanting to respond to the call of God or maybe they, they've already started but they're so, sort of at those beginning stages. What sort of advice would you give them?
0: Well, um, number one, be faithful. God is not going to call anybody who's not faithful. Amen. They may have a call but they're not going to progress in that calling. Uh, then patience, be patience with me. God showed me uh, certain things in dreams and so forth. And I just had to be patient. It was very tempting to run ahead, but um, uh, that's one thing. Good thing. Brother Favalores wished to say to me, just be patient, just be patient. Be willing to serve in the church in any capacity that you're offered any capacity and uh, I think my first assignment in the Baptist Church was to teach five and six-year-old Sunday school class of boys. I was 17 years old, I think maybe 16 or 17 and that was my first job. I, I managed to get through that in one year and I continued to teach Sunday school, eventually ended up teaching the seniors. So just be willing to serve in anything or whatever they want you to do, whatever the leader in the church wants you to do. Of course, uh, you've got to engage in in soul winning. Let God open the doors. Mm. That's one thing that uh, I've actually proven in my life. Be patient and let God open the doors. Of course, frustration comes in. And, uh, and I believe that frustration is part of our preparation. Mm. Uh, you can, ex- if you're going to serve God, you can expect you like wanting to get, go out. You want to be out of cages <laughs> and you're frustrated, but you can't find the key how to get out of the cage. And that's probably cage is the wrong word, but, um, but it's all part of the preparation. So uh, I'd say that's probably the main things I would suggest.
2: That's good. Faithfulness being patient, allowing what may feel like frustration lead you to a place where you could properly prepared and, and be ready whenever those doors yep. do open.
0: It's yep. to run ahead. Uh, but uh, of course, when you don't, you get frustrated. But it's all part of God's plan.
2: Amen. In your opinion, how important of a role does sacrifice play in ministerial development?
0: Okay, that's a good one. Sacrifice is not an optional extra. That's another way that we can prove, not only to ourselves, but uh, to our leaders and to the Lord, that we're ready. Hmm. We need to sacrifice our time. Give liberally of your time to the Lord. Give liberally of your, your treasure to God. Not only your tithes, but get involved in supporting missions because uh, it's only when you really give to missions that you take an interest in missions and this, this broadens the whole uh, vision that you've got
1: hmm.
0: and of course your talents your natural talents and your god-given talents exercise those i can't can't help but uh, remember in hebrews chapter 11 verse 17 it says by faith abraham when he was tried, offered up Isaac. That that when you think of that ultimate sacrifice, that's 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 quite unbelievable.
2: Yeah. And the reason I wanted to ask that question is because I did have your wife on on the podcast a while back and she talked about how you all made your way to Canberra ultimately where you would pastor for a number of years. We talked a a bit about this with her But I did want to get your perspective because she shared how much of a sacrifice that was for you. She also shared how, you know, that that was also a bit of a frustrating time when you guys felt like you might have been called to be doing something else. And you were told to wait. And in that season was when God called you to become the pastors in Canberra. And the way it all happened, uh, if you wouldn't mind just sharing from your perspective what that was like.
0: Yeah, well, uh, Brother Favoloro often used to say to me, uh, Johnny, you're going to be the pastor here sometime in the future. So, um, but strangely enough, I I became aware that I didn't think that was going to happen. Mm. I can't say how, but um, Sue and I talked about it a lot. Anyway, then one night I had a dream. I dreamt that I was unemployed. I was walking down the street with another brother uh, who was in the church. And we were both talking about how we desperately wanted to be employed. Anyway, we came to this uh, big factory. It had stone walls and barbed wire along the top of the the walls. And I remember looking up and thinking, what's strange? And he he said to me, I'm fed up with just waiting I'm going to climb the wall and get a job in there which i suppose seems to be a bit ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> but the last I saw is he was climbing the wall but i I walked on and uh, on my own and as I was walking along and went past the the doors to this factory and the door opened and a man uh, unbelievably stepped he had long white hair, not long white hair but long hair. Uh, not very long but white hair that was down to his shoulders and uh, he said you're looking for a job I said yes he said well I I am looking for a person to work in this uh, in this factory a foreman I want you to come in and I'll show you around he showed me around and when I went in the the other workers were living dangerously and I remember that over vats and all that sort of thing well I didn't know what it all meant but um, I spoke this to Brother Favalora I told him that I had this dream and he said oh yes obviously God's going to use you in the future but you're going to be the pastor here <laughs> <laughs> but that did not that didn't sort of resonate with me mm-hmm. so then uh, we were Having church and uh, we decided to attend a service over in the Morven church where Sister Cole was going to be speaking, Sister Helen Cole. After that service, we were standing in groups, and I remember my wife was standing behind me, he was talking to the ladies, and Sister Cole came over and and boldly said to her, Sister Suzanne, you and your husband are going to be pastoring. Wow. And I remember th- I saw, wow, uh, well, let the prophets judge, you know. <laughs> I hardly knew this lady. And, yeah. and about five minutes later, Sue was standing beside me, and she came over very, very boldly, right in the middle of uh, the midst of where we were standing and pointed at both of us. And he, she said, what's more, God has shown me that you will be pastoring before I return here next year. Wow. And I, then I really said, well, we well, we'll really see what's going to happen here, whether it's going to come yeah. come past." So um, as time went on, we were working in the church there in Dandenong, and uh, I really felt that God was going to do something. So we started to plan, just Sue and I together, how we would go to Albury
1: mm.
0: on the New Wales-Victorian border and and start a church there. So we we're talking about a lot. And then I was in Perth uh, visiting over there. I was the home mission director at that time. And uh, and I had this vision. It's very, very hard to explain because I didn't see a face, but I saw part of a face. And in the vision, I realized that it was Jesus and he was about to say something.
1: Hmm.
0: So I said, I said to my wife, I, I talked to him about this vision. I said, I've had a vision. I know it was the face of Jesus and his lips where uh, I could tell he was about to say something. So God is going to, God's going to tell us what, what to do. So let's really get planning to go to Warbury. So um, then after a couple of weeks, uh, I'd been traveling and I got home and it was the Sunday night that I got home from interstate. We were sitting at the table. I said, darling, I said, God is going to speak but he hasn't spoken yet. So we prayed and then on the Monday night I said, yep, God, I'm, I know God's going to speak, but he hasn't spoken yet. We can't do anything until he speaks.
1: Mm.
0: And Then on Tuesday night, exactly the same thing. And she went off to a ladies' auxiliary meeting. And that night I got a telephone call from a member of the executive board saying, we have been praying and we believe it's God's will for you to go to Canberra. Wow. Well, I, I, said, I said, you know, this is all happening. Uh, and I said, well, let me pray about it. Well, I needed to talk to Sue about it. Mm-hmm. And somehow I just knew straight away that this was the will of God. Mm. But when Sue came home, I told her, she said, yes, that's it. We're going. So the next obstacle was to tell Brother Favalora. <laughs> And he was—he had Italian background. He was—he was quite a strong, sort of a person. And we went over there, and knocked on the door, and uh, because he was my my wife's foster father,
1: mm-hmm.
0: he said, "Donny, come in." He said, "I know why you're here." And I thought, "Oh, dear! I wonder, wonder what it is he knows." You know, <laughs> I didn't didn't one minute imagine. We sat down in the lounge room. He took us in the lounge room, which was rather unusual. He said. God has told me that you're leaving. He said, "I don't know any that you're leaving." I said, "Yes, we have got an invitation to go to Canberra." He said, "Well, I was I was in my study this morning praying, and God told me you're leaving, and I've already talked to Mum, and where, wherever you're going, we're going to pay your removal expenses." Wow! So, I mean, it, all, everything's all stacking up here, it's just so um, anyway. Getting back to Sister Cole's prophecy, she said we would we'd be pastoring a church one year. She she added to that one, sorry, another lady added to that as uh, somewhere up north. She'd had a dream and we were, we were pastoring a church up north. Oh wow. So anyway, one year in one year we would be pastoring a church. In actual fact, the church in Canberra met, had a business meeting at seven o'clock finished the business meeting at 8 o'clock and accepted Sue and I as pastor. And Sister Cole flew into Australia that same night at 9 p.m. from America. Oh, my goodness. Thus, that we'd have the church by the time she returned.
2: Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that is incredible.
0: I mean, how could I have, have, have any doubt that God called us to camp?
2: <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, no. Yeah, and, and having that... As something to hang your hat on you know whenever anything went wrong or things were happening exactly the way that that uh, you would want them to happen per se you would always have that to hang your hat on that i know this is where god wants me to be i'm in the will of god uh, that's amazing
0: we, we were challenged uh in the early days here we hadn't been here very long and uh, and i actually ran brother holton i said brother holton we've been challenged about I feel maybe I should put my name up for election again at the church. Said, You'll never do anything. Were you called to go to Canberra? I said, <laughs> yes. Ed. Well, then you're God's anointed man. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Amen. So how long did you end up pastoring in Canberra as the lead pastor before you became bishop?
0: I think I think we came here mid-1984, and then Jonathan's installation was in December 2012, so we were here pastoring a little bit more than 28 years.
2: And obviously, across those 28 years, the church has grown, and and it's continued to grow since uh, your son took over as pastor, and there's a thriving church in Canberra, and and also uh, the Canberra church is reaching out into other uh, smaller towns, which is really cool. I was blessed to be able to go out to Griffith, see you and your wife out there as well, and just passing through some of the small towns that the church is reaching out to. Uh, it's really great to see. So you pastor for 28 years. Obviously, you would have a lot of advice that you could give to someone who is pastoring, but I've challenged you to boil that down to one piece of advice. So if you could only share one piece of advice with a pastor of a local church, what would that be?
0: Regardless of what's going on, love the people. Hmm. Love them. Jesus would love them and uh, and teach them just like Jesus would teach them. Uh, it's not easy, but uh, I've always, I think I learned that from Brother Holden. He used to say, God, it's God's church, just love them.
2: Mm. And that helps carry you through so many different things that, that could go wrong. And obviously the things that go right, you know, there <laughs> isn't just negatives to pastoring, but there's a lot of positives as well.
0: Yes, yes. Yeah, there's every church has turbulent periods. Even the, when we look at the Bible, we see that uh, in the New Testament, we see churches' at times in turmoil with false doctrine and behaviors and things like that. They're going to come and they're going to go, but we just are there to love the people. If they leave, at least we can say, Well, I love them.
2: Mm. It's amazing to see what God has done in Canberra across all those years and and to add to the fact that you were serving in a national capacity as well during all of that time. So your responsibilities were immense, I, I guess, for lack of a better word. You, you had a lot of responsibilities while you you and your wife and your family were building that church in Canberra.
0: Yes, yes. Well, I, I was serving on the executive board and, uh, and pastoring at the same time. If, if you're cool, even if it's difficult, if difficult times, when it all boils down, you will just love what you're doing and mm. um, how the, uh, the wonderful things that happen in a church are not shadowed by the the unfortunate things that happen in a church. And uh, if you stay close to Jesus and stay focused on, on what you're doing, you'll feel excited about what God's going to do every day, every every day, step by step.
2: Amen. Well, uh, we talked about it a little bit there that you had your responsibilities on the executive board. Uh, along with that, you traveled extensively throughout your ministry uh, all across the, the many years that you've been serving God. You've gone from Torres Strait to the Red Desert, from Indonesia to Timor-Leste, from Mizoram, where... You established the orphanage over there. Calvary Chapel established that in Mizoram. To the United States, what are some stories that you can share of how God moved in a miraculous way during those trips? I've reached out to a number of people and said, if I have Bishop Downs on the podcast, what would you ask them? And so many people are (laughs) like, we just want to hear some of his stories. So if you wouldn't mind sharing uh, some of what God has done in these trips, it could also be where you're at home at Canberra as well. But if you don't mind sharing with us some of those.
0: Well, my wife and I are talking about writing a book, and I think we could probably write, uh, write quite a book.
2: Yes, please, uh, please write a book. <laughs> we would uh, all love to I, read it.
0: A bit of a loss uh, to know uh, where, to, where to start. But, but you did mention about uh, work up in the Torrey Strait, and probably that's a a very good place uh, to start, um, we were invited to go, I was the Home Mission Director at the time and uh, Brother Jacobson had been in contact with Brother Dennis Messer up in, uh, in Townsville. So, Brother Dennis Messer invited us to travel through the Torrey Strait Islands and, and preach. So, uh, as the Home Mission Director, uh, obviously it was going to be financed by Home Missions so, there was Brother Messer, Brother Jacobson, my wife, uh, brother and sister Roussel, and Roussel and a couple of other Corrie Strait Islander. We, did, we didn't all travel together, but at times we all met together there. During that, during that, that uh, trip, we started in Cairns, and then went to Weeper, then to Bamaga, then up into Thursday Island, and then on from there. But we saw many, many people filled with the Holy Spirit. People would stay in church, you know, 11 and 12 o'clock at night, uh, not being in church building outdoors most of the time, and many, many people filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm. Eventually, moved over to Thursday Island, uh, and we were staying in a in an indigenous hostel there. I think five dollars a night it cost us to stay there. Uh, we That that gave us two single beds, my wife and I had two single beds, and it gave us breakfast and dinner oh, wow. for $5. <laughs> so uh, while we were there, we were obviously visiting the church that was in Thursday Island at that time. I remember one morning uh, at breakfast time, an elderly man shuffled in, uh, Torres Strait the man, quite aged, but he'd been going to the hospital in Thursday island and staying in this hostel and uh, my wife just took uh, took to him and and loved him
1: mm.
0: and uh, he would come in and my wife would get his meal for him and and prepare it i remember there even she was cutting up his meat and taking the bones out of it and so forth <clears throat> so that that's just seemed to be something that happened on the way but we didn't realize what sort of an impact that would eventually have so to travel on from Thursday Island out to Murray Island uh, I engaged the charter plane that would actually fly backwards and forwards um, pick us up deliver us then it would fly back to Cairns I think so uh, it was an old Islander plane so we were we were flown out to Murray Island and we had wonderful meetings on murray island but we also planned to visit yam island
1: mm-hmm.
0: the messer said there was had not been a work and he really wanted to see a work established on yam island but uh, when we when we contacted a brother ban was a young man at that time and he was on that island visiting and uh, he said no no he said the chairman is is definite. He doesn't want any Pentecostals
1: hmm. on
0: the island. So we really made this a matter of prayer. Anyway, uh, the day, for, day before we were due to fly to Yam Island, the the pilot rang me. Or oh, sorry, he didn't ring because there was only one telephone on the island, but I got a message from uh, saying he needed to know by early the next morning whether we were going to fly to Yam Island so uh, I went down and rang him back and I said look I said they're telling us we're not allowed to go to Yam island but if if you just I'll ring you back tomorrow morning so early the next morning I got up and I remember going around trying to find coins because there was only one telephone on the island and it was a coin telephone so with a handful of coins I uh, went down to the telephone and the Am Island only had one telephone also. <laughs> so how with a handful of coins, how am I going to get hold of Brother Ban? Mm. So, and of course, the coins used to drop through pretty quick because it, it back up there it was like long distance calls. Yeah. So I dialed, I dialed the number. It only rang about twice. And a guy on the other end picked it up and said, Hello? I, and I quickly said, hello, my name is John Downs. Could you please get Brother Bann for me? Could you please get Freddie Bann for me? That's what I said. <laughs> Could you please get Freddie Ban And he said, this is he.
1: <laughs> no way.
0: I said, what do you mean? Have you been waiting for my call? He said, no, I was just walking past the telephone. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and uh, so I said to him, I said, uh, I said, brother, I'd never met Brother Man before. I said, we need to know if we can come to the island. He said, I'm very, very sorry. He said, I spoke to the chairman the other day and he said, definitely not. And he's not on the island right now. He's actually in Thursday Island. And uh, he, he said, you definitely can't come. So I thought, oh, well, I might as well just chat with this brother and i start popping the coins in and they were clicking <laughs> through, you know. <laughs> and uh, I was almost out of coins. And he said, one minute. He said, I'm looking down the pathway towards the airstrip, and I can see the I can see the chairman coming this way. He said, one minute. And I thought, wait, wait. <laughs> so I thought, I'm gonna lose him because I haven't got enough coins. Yeah. And he was gone for ages. And uh, when I say ages, maybe minutes, five minutes maybe, and I'm I'm wondering, any minute I'm gonna run out of time. And he came back, he said, You never believe this. He said, the chairman just told me you can come to the island. Wow. And I said, well, what changed his mind? He said, I don't know. But I found out sometime later what changed his mind. He'd been to Thursday Island and visited his dad. And his dad was the one that my wife had been waiting on at the table.
2: No way. Oh, my goodness.
0: Just the way that the Lord works is unbelievable and his father said to him evidently his father said to him they're good people they're very good people oh, so wow. that's the way that am island opened up we went there we we baptized uh, about seven or seven or so people one night while three sharks swam around <laughs> i wasn't in the water <laughs> i saw these swimming around and i said to one of the men who was playing the music i said." There's sharks in there. And he looked and he said, yeah. I said, you better tell Brother Messer. He said, no, (laughs) you (laughs) will panic. That was the start of the church there. They didn't really, after that, didn't give Brother Ban a very easy time on that island because, uh, yeah, God had moved there, but they really didn't want to have a Pentecostal church there.
2: And for my listeners who aren't, too familiar with Torres Strait, uh, the Torres Strait Islands, I encourage you to pop that on your Google Maps and have a look at uh, what Brother Downs is talking about, these little islands that are in between, it's in between Australia and, is it Papua New Guinea? Yes. yes. Yeah. And so he was traveling from island to island, and Yam Island, I believe, I had an opportunity to possibly go there, it ended up not happening, but I think my pastor p- preached a Easter conference there. Uh, that's amazing to hear how the church actually got started there. What an amazing testimony. And it just goes to show you that it opened up, not necessarily the way that we would expect something like that to open up, but it, it opened through uh, your wife showing kindness and, sh- and showing the love of God to a complete stranger.
0: Yes. Well, we now, we now have churches, uh, not only on Cape York, but uh, we have churches in Thursday Island, Boigu Island, Am Island, Murray Island, Darnley Island, uh, and uh, Duan, and a couple of other places I can't remember off the top of my head. So the the church is is spread quite widely up there.
2: Yeah, it's awesome to see what God is doing up there, and we look forward to seeing them all again. We haven't seen them for a few years. Uh, a A lot of us haven't. Obviously, some people have been able to travel up there, but the broader church in Australia hasn't really been able to have much contact with them over the last couple of years so we look forward to seeing everyone at general conference coming up yes so would you mind sharing with us one more before we move along one more story if you wouldn't uh, mind
0: certainly maybe maybe i can share something about how the orphanage started oh, yeah up. that
2: that would be awesome
0: yeah this is quite a miraculous thing as well Whilst we were in the United States in 1989, uh, we went over there. I think we visited about 23 states preaching. We were invited to go there by Brother Harry Sism. Uh, before we left, we were asked to, while in the United States, to visit a man who was the Indian ambassador to Jamaica. Now, he was in Washington. He was not well. So, uh, and he was there getting medical treatment. So when we when we went to Virginia, we went and visited him in Washington and had afternoon tea with him and uh, and prayed for him. Mm. He was a Presbyterian, but he said, I want you to come to Mizoram and preach. I knew that wasn't an easy thing because I had already heard that uh, some American missionaries having great difficulty getting to the northern part of India. So a week later. My brother Sism knew about this, uh, that we were going to meet with this ambassador. And about a week later, we were in St. Louis having dinner with brother Harry Sism and brother Ellis Sism, who was his father. And as soon as we sat down at the table, they said, how did it go with the ambassador? Well, we said, yeah, we, we, we went and visited him and we prayed for him. And they said, oh, that's good. Anything else? I said, oh, he invited me to go to India. Oh, you're cool. You've got to go, you've got to go. <laughs> well, honestly, India was not on my radar. <laughs> I could say I personally had no interest in yeah. visiting India. So anyway, we, we came back after our travel around America and we'd only been home a short time and Brother Sisson rings up and says, Have you organized the visit to to India? Well, I was thought it was going to be swept under the carpet. <laughs> <laughs> As I said, I, had, I really had no vision about going to India. So uh, so he said, well, you need to put an application in. And that, that not only a visa to get into India, but you had to have a special permit to cross the border into Miz- Mizoram because there'd been an uprising in Mizoram and they were uh, not allowing for people to go. Mm. So um, I, I had one of those applications posted to me, we filled it out and then I, I sent it off to the home office in, in Delhi. Then about a month later Brother Sism rings up again and uh, he said, "How?" He said, I said i put the application in but I really did not think we would go because I knew how difficult it was to get in. Mm-hmm. He said, Brother Downs, step out in faith and buy a ticket. Oh, <laughs> well, I'd buy a ticket to India uh, with uh, for my wife and I, and it cost a lot of money.
2: <laughs> yeah, of course.
0: <laughs> and I wasn't necessarily flush with funds at that particular time. So um, I said, okay, uh, Brother Sism's asked us, so let's do it. So we, we went and bought a ticket from Sydney to Calcutta and then from Calcutta to, to Mizoram still facing the possibility that we would not be allowed to go to Mizoran. We mm-hmm. may be able to go to Calcutta but not Mizoran. So I I heard nothing. And uh, so I rang the ambassador's son. The ambassador's son was a member of parliament in uh, in Mizoran and uh, I got his number from his sisters which were in our church. And he said he would ask his father, and uh, talk to his father, and see what could be done. Then again, I heard nothing. So uh, I decided that I'm going to set a date, and if we've not heard anything by this date, I'll cancel the tickets. And at least I'll, I'll only lose the deposit, mm-hmm. and I'll get we'll get the money back. So it was a set day that I set. Uh, looked at the ticket, and I thought, if I'll, I'll ring Mizoram, if I don't get the permit myself, I'll ring Mizoram and uh, talk to Andrew, who was a member of parliament. So anyway, the Saturday arrived, and I thought, uh, this is a dumb deal. We're not going to India because I've heard absolutely nothing. So I, I rang rang Andrew, and I said, uh, brother Andrew, he was also a Presbyterian, and uh, said, brother Andrew, look, can, can you can you tell us what has happened with our permit? He said, Brother Downs, he said, I'm so, so sorry, but we don't have the permit, we've, we've not heard back, we do not have the permit. So because his family was in our church in Canberra, I just continued to talk to him. And then I heard in the background, his knock, he said, oh, please excuse me, I've got an, somebody knocking on the door, I have to answer the door. He went to the door. And he came back to the telephone. He said, I have the permit in my hand. <laughs> wow. Yeah, see how God works? I, I probably needed that because it had to be at the last <laughs> minute <now. laughs> for God to prove to me that he really wanted us in India. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> exactly.
0: So, I put the telephone down and said to my wife, we're going to India. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but That was actually amazing there are some things that i didn't know at that particular time but i i did know that he had contacted the chief minister of mizoram and that the chief minister of mizoram had actually uh, was on the indian finance committee and had been to delhi and while he was there that he um, he made representations on our part and therefore uh, the chief minister actually bought the pass back with him uh, and then sent a messenger around and delivered it to Andrews place while I was on the telephone so anyway that's um, that's that's the way it happened we we flew uh, to India to Calcutta and we stayed in the in a hotel there in Calcutta I'll just go back probably the thing we did not know is that um, at that stage, we knew that the Chief Minister had been involved, but we did not know that the Prime Minister of India had been mm-hmm. involved. And evidently, there was a, quite a, a strong exchange between the Chief Minister and the Prime Minister. He said, We, we, uh, I put it in my words, we're fed up with the way the government is treating the state of Mizoram. And uh, we have a, my father, who he would have known, Casey Labunga, a very famous man has invited these preachers to come and your Home Office is not responding. And evidently the Prime Minister said, rang the Home Office and said, issue the permit immediately. So, that's that's how that happened. So, when we we're in Calcutta, we met the General Superintendent of North East India who had actually come to meet us. So, the next day we go down to the airport and uh, to fly out. We had confirmed tickets. But when we went to the desk, the man at the desk uh, to fly from Calcutta to Mizoram, he said, the ticket's not confirmed. Mm. I said, it is confirmed. And I showed him on the ticket. I said, it says confirmed. He said, it's not confirmed. And so people are stepping up to the counter. It was only a small plane. Mm-hmm. Stepping up the counter and, and I'm watching them handing things over like
2: gifts. <laughs> uh, it's a shakedown.
0: <laughs> and the superintendent's Standing beside me, and he said, "Brother Downs, you have a confirmed ticket, but you are not going to get on that flight unless you pay a bribe." Oh, wow! I said. I looked and I said, "I've never paid a bribe." <laughs> I won't <pay> a bribe. <laughs> the plane took off without us. I remember looking up at the at the board and it said uh, the flight had departed. So uh, I said to the superintendent, "What are we going to do?" He said, "Well, maybe what we can do is catch a a plane to Silchar, which is in Assam." And then from Assam, take a taxi, an eight hour taxi drive up into Mizoram. Okay, so we bought the ticket, we got on that. And then uh, when we landed in Silchar, when I got off the plane, as we're walking across, there's a little man running beside me, uh, talking to me in, uh, in Bengali. And I couldn't understand. I said to the superintendent, I said, what does he want? He said, he wants you to follow him. So by this by now we're in the in the in the lounge. I said, "What does he want?" He said, uh, "They're the licensing officers. They want to know why you're here, because we're in Assam, not not Mizoram. Yeah. You have to you have to have a permit to get into Assam as well." So I went into this office and this man behind a chair sitting there, who thought he was pretty pretty important. Eventually, a, a policeman came in, a fairly high-ranking policeman, and. And stood behind him and they said actually took my papers and he waved the papers in my face and he said how did you get these how did you get these now he knew how hard it was to get into Mizoram. Mm-hmm. he was that we'd food fraud, uh, was fraudulent ah yeah so i said okay so i talked about the ambassador how the ambassador invited me to come I talked to him about how the chief ministry got involved. As soon as I mentioned the chief minister, he slid the papers across the table, stood up, bowed to me. The uh, the high ranking policeman saluted me, and he said, "Go, go, go, go!" And I said, "Get out." Of here. <laughs> oh. So we we got on our long journey, and then uh, this was it was about about dusk, and uh, Brother Sutton Bella pulled the. The, the taxi into a block of land it was a, a bit of flat land which is very rare up there and there was an old house that was on it he said we'll have a cup of tea here so we sat down there were a couple of boxes placed on the ground and we sat around having a cup of tea and uh, I said do you know these people who were serving the tea he said yeah they're caretakers they're caretaking this property belongs to the United Pentecostal Church Northeast India, and we're going to build an orphanage here. Oh, I said, that's wonderful. I said, when is, the, when is it going to start? When are you going to start building? Oh, he said, 10 years. A lot of money.
1: Mm.
0: And off the top of his head, he stated like two and a half core. Well, I didn't have any understanding what a core was. Sound like a couple of million to me. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then he said, he just looked me in the face and said, Maybe the Australian church can help.
1: Mm.
0: And I really didn't entertain it because I thought, this is, this is just new. I'm only. So when I hopped in the taxi and we were driving, I felt the Spirit of God come on me and I began to weep. I had no clue what was going on. And. Uh, so we're driving along and I'm really emotional. And then as we, we stopped off a couple of times while people in the churches in the towns came out and entertained us and sang songs and and so on. And I thought, oh, this it, I must be too tired. That's why I'm emotional. But, you know, by the time I got up into Isol, which is the capital of Mizoram, I knew that God wanted us to build that orphanage.
1: How it was going to happen,
0: I had no clue. Canberra was about to have their second building program. When I came back uh, in that first week back, I had a a meeting scheduled with the trustees in the church to make a final decision that we'd begin building. Then, as I told them the story, all of the trustees around the table started weeping. That same spirit that came on me came on them. And I remember one of the brothers saying, "I would pass a resolution: we build the orphanage before we build our church." Wow. So that's that's how it happened. It was quite quite amazing.
2: Yeah, it is amazing. I, I love that story. I haven't heard all the nuances of it, and it's just incredible hearing you tell how God orchestrated every part of that to get you guys there, and and now. Decades later, that uh, orphanage, the school there has impacted countless lives. And not only that, not only has Calvary Chapel been able to be involved in the orphanage, but also the broader Australian church. I know my wife and I have sponsored a child there for a number of years now, and it's just, we're just grateful to be able to be a small part of what God is doing in Mizoram. And hearing you tell the story about you. Uh, weeping and and your trustees as well it just uh reminds me of stories that i've heard of when the youth team went to mizram up into india and they had a same a similar reaction and, and many members of that youth team are now leaders within the upca pastoring churches and that place has just had an incredible impact on the church here it really has
0: i do think that sometimes we don't focus properly God wants us to. In the Epistle of John, it talks there about ministering to those that are hungry and those in need, and that's that's what God expects the church to do. It was not on my radar, Father Greg. Uh, it was far from any of my thoughts. But yes, the church in Australia has been blessed. I think uh, you you can't do that sort of thing without God blessing you.
2: And not to connect too many dots, but hearing your story, the way that you were raised, what you experienced with, with your dad passing away, and also what your wife experienced, it's almost as if throughout your life, God had His hand on you, giving you an opportunity to have that empathy and compassion that you could show in order to see that this uh, orphanage would actually come to pass and that you you and the church would follow through to make sure that it happened.
0: And, and the way that the way that people helped me
1: mm.
0: I, you can understand that when I became a teenager my dad had died and due to the war I had a real grudge about that how mm. God had taken my father and to have other people around me not just family but men in the church who were willing to help me mentor me and yes I, I wasn't I wasn't a perfect picture of the saint. I told you, I was a of getting into trouble. <laughs> but they were patient with me. And uh, uh, over the years, I had a lot of ups and downs. And uh, I, I really can't talk about some of the details of it, but that's, that's mm. history. Yeah. but It's under the blood, as they say. Yes, yeah. But but I do think that God had his hand on me. And, mm. uh, and I never forget, when we were in that coffee shop, my wife, the first day her father walked in to, as the pastor of the church, walked in to preach. I was leading the worship and he walked and Sue came around the corner in a red dress. And I thought, I think I've just seen my wife.
2: And you two are an incredible pair and you work hand in glove together. And I was so blessed to hear a lot of her story. We heard it on on the podcast as well and how God has used both of you in in incredible ways over the years. And that sort of leads to our our next area. This past January, you made the decision to not allow your name to run in the national elections of the UPCA. So you made that decision um, that your name wouldn't run. And that effectively ended 41 years of you being on the executive board here in Australia and 21 years of leading the UPCA as a general superintendent. And it's been a privilege for me since I moved to Australia to be able to sit under your leadership, under your wife's leadership all of these years. And obviously I've only experienced 13 years of of, uh, Australia and the growth here in the church. And how has the Australian church grown? Obviously it has, you've seen it on a more granular level over the last 41 years of being on the Executive Board. How have you seen the Church transition and grow over the years?
0: Well, it it grew under Brother Holden uh, after he was the superintendent for 24 years, and he laid a very, very good foundation. But yes, there's been quite a significant growth over that time. I don't want anybody to ever think that's my doing. In, in the church in Australia, we have some very special men pastoring churches uh, who have a heart for our nation and a heart for their church. And they, it's just a matter of the executive board leading the churches around Australia at a national level, and God does the rest. So, uh, yes, we, we've seen a growth in the, in the number of people as well as the number of churches in Australia, a significant growth.
2: So what excites you about the future of the Australian church? After all these years having led it, what excites you about the future of it?
0: Uh, the Australian church is in very good hands. And I know we're a, a church that, that has a vision for growth. That's very, very exciting to me. And you know how we've laid out certain growth goals and, and so forth. The church will grow because we worship a God who's unlimited. Hmm. We put him first. It will grow because it's his church, not our church. And of course, we have a great superintendent now, a wonderful executive board and other national leaders that are very, very capable and committed. I congratulate you on your, your appointment as media director. So, yes, the church will grow if we continue to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, because uh, Jesus is in the salvation business. We've we've only got to proclaim it. It's God's church; He will He will grow it, and there will be a continual revival. All we've got to do is to do our part.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Although whatever God has called us to do, of course, every man every member should be the sole winner. And I'll just say there's the parable of the sower, he went forth to sow. And when you read that parable you think, he wasn't a very good farmer. He he threw some of it on the path and some of it on the stones. And but that says to me where very often we can be quite selective, but God just wants us to go and sow. And and he he will bring in the harvest.
2: Amen you kind of touched on it a little bit there uh, as to making sure that the church is always reaching out and and sowing the seed but if you would be able to focus in on what is something that we should never lose sight of as as the apostolic church in australia and around the world what is what is something that we should never lose sight of i
0: think maybe i've already said it god is unlimited We, we have all these things in our mind that you can't do this and you can't do that, not enough money uh, and and so it goes on. And I think if God's ministers will be sacrificial with their money and their time and their talents, God is unlimited. And I maybe through some of the illustrations I've given today, we can just trust God when we think we're walking or going ahead in, into an unknown, that if God is with us, if we believe God is with us, then he's unlimited and he will step in at the right time. And as you, as some of the illustrations I've given, you can see sometimes right at the very, very last minute because he wants us to be like Abraham. He went up onto that mountain and he lifted up the knife. He mm-hmm. was ready to sacrifice his son. And God said that there was a sacrifice that he'd provided. God wants us to be like that. Living like that is exciting. Mm. What Abraham felt, I don't think it was too exciting at the time. But, but really, and some of the experiences that I've had have not been exciting right up until the last minute. Right. Uh, he's got unlimited. And mm. so we've got to trust.
2: Amen. I love to ask this question to everyone who comes on the podcast, or almost everyone. But what is it, and this will be my final question before we wrap up here today, but what is it that drives you when it comes to ministry, when it comes to doing the work of the Lord? What is that driving force for you, has been that driving force for you across all these years?
0: I suppose my calling, knowing that, that I'm cool. But knowing, that it, it's exciting. I've got to put that word in there. Uh in the midst of all the troubles from time to time. It's exciting, but the driving force is knowing that God has appointed us, he's called us, and therefore he'll be with us.
2: Amen. Well, it's been an absolute honor to have you on the podcast here today, and I've, I've really enjoyed my time with you and hearing what God has done in your life, in, in the life of your family, through your ministry, as well as the different advice that you're able to share, the wisdom that you're able to share with us here today. But in conclusion, I want to give you the opportunity, Brother Downs, to share a word with the listeners, whatever you feel that God has laid on your heart for this podcast. And I just want to thank you again for making yourself available and joining us here today.
0: Okay, well, uh, thank you, Greg. Maybe since I've talked about Abraham, we can uh, spend a little bit of time talking about Abraham, particularly when he he decided that he needed to find a wife for his son Isaac, and uh, if you recall it in I think it's Genesis chapter twenty four, he summoned his eldest servant and gave him the task to find a wife. He actually put him under a oath that he would not find a, a wife among ungodly people. So. He said, I want you to go into the land of of my relatives, Mesopotamia, uh, to the city of Nahor, and I want you to find a wife there. And he, he made this amazing comment. He said, and he shall send his angel before thee. He shall send his angel before thee. Now, I love this story because if I ever write a book, I'm going to probably put this in there because I realized in this story that God was going ahead of Abraham's uh, servant. So uh, he went, he made the journey. He went there and he came to the city and came to the well. Then he, he prayed and I'm just looking at my Bible now in Genesis chapter 24 verse 13. He says, behold, I stand here by the well of water. And the daughters of men of the city come to draw water. And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, "Let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink," and she will say, "Drink," and I will also give to your camels. So, um, amazingly, and it came to pass, it says, before he had done speaking, that behold, Rebecca came out with a picture on her shoulder mm. so he, here he is he's he, he, he's doing something that's, that is actually going to cause God to perform a miracle anyway so later on later on and this is probably my message here today he was relating what had happened and he said Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and truth. He said, I've been in the way. The Lord led me. Mm. I've been in the way. The Lord led me. So what that's really saying is he set himself on the course to do the will of his master. His master said, the, the angel of God will go before you. And he he was obedient unto that. Sometimes we need to be obedient unto those that that speak into our lives. If we know that they're a man of God then do what they say. He said, The angel of the Lord will go before you. So he had this expectation. So when he got there, he said, Okay, here I am at the well. Now Lord, you do this.
1: Hmm. And
0: and exactly what happened. I love these words. I been in the way the Lord led me there's also another scripture in the book of Luke chapter 17 talks about uh, a man who was a servant he went out and worked in the field all day when he came home at night his master said to him now prepare my meal which seems rather rough to us (laughs) and he said "After after you've looked after me he'd already done that day's work after you've looked after me then you can you can look after yourself and the, the little parable there uh, goes ahead and says that we've only done that which was our duty to do. There was no special accolades for that servant because he went the extra mile. It just said we have only done that which was our duty to do and that was the same with Abraham's servant. He did what was his duty and God did the rest. We need to be the servants of God. It's not that that God owes us anything. Jesus does not owe us anything. He's done the complete work. To serve him is our duty, and we must do this out of love. Lord Jesus, we, we do thank you for being our God and Savior. We thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have in you. We thank you, Lord, that we have the opportunity of being your servants and, and serving you. We pray, Lord, that we would not look at the things around us to distract us, but that we would keep our eyes on you and trust you, Lord, because you are the unlimited God. Lord, by you, great things will happen, by you, miracles, and by you, many will be saved. So, Lord, just help us to understand that we are your servants. And Lord, when we act on your behalf, you will step in and you will bring in a great harvest. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity today. Bless all the hearers, we pray in Jesus' mighty name.
1: Amen.